Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to read the experience of Rennell Wallace. And uh, let me just give a little background about how I came across this story. Um, I was at my brother's house and I uh, just happened to be next to his uh, bookshelf and saw this book on the shelf. Now I'd never heard of it. I, I had no idea what drew me to it. But I just picked up the book and flipped it open. Didn't read the back, uh, anything. I don't even remember if I read the title. And the title is The Burning Within by Rennell Wallace uh, with Curtis Taylor. I, I imagine that Curtis Taylor is probably an author that helped her put her words to book form or something. I, I Like I said, I haven't read it. But I flipped it open and, and immediately... You know, upon starting to read for a moment, I could see that it was somebody who had been in a car, I mean, sorry, a a plane crash, and was basically trying to rush for help. And, and, you know, my brother's not like I am. I am fascinated with near-death experiences and have a shelf designated for my near-death experience section of books. And, uh, but as far as I know, he's he's not all that into them. And, and, um, but when I saw that this is a plane crash, someone had been in a plane crash, and they were basically on the verge of blacking out and were getting, going for help, I'm like, no way. It couldn't be. <laughs> and, and so I kind of flipped a couple of pages further, and sure enough, she's talking to her grandma. And I'm like, okay, maybe she's just talking to her grandma, you know, and, and then I look, and then she's talking to, I don't know, somebody else that, uh, a great uncle or something, I can't remember, and I was like, okay, this is really sounding like a near-death experience, and I flip again, and there's something about light, or dressed in white, something like that, I'm like, okay, I gotta borrow this book. <laughs> so this is a little adventure today. I often do, uh, share experiences without having pre-read them, but this was just such a coincidence. Um, Happening to be drawn to this book, I mean, the only thing that stands out is the color of the book in terms of itself. It's kind of a a yellow, orange, reddish, you know, uh, sunset-y kind of a color, which I do like that color. Maybe that was what drew me to it, I don't know, but maybe it was something else. And and just flipping it open and seeing this is a near-death experience book. I mean, that amazing coincidence to me, which I'm not sure there are coincidences. So without further ado, I have um, read just enough to find out where the experience starts. And, uh, and so all I know is that she was in a plane accident and uh, she's now at a hospital apparently or something uh, based on what we're reading. So here we go with Rennell Wallace from The Burning Within. We're just clearing her lungs, one of the nurses said to Terry. It's just a little congestion. I watched from my place near Terry as she pumped the plastic bulb while the other the others helped the young man work on the person on the gurney. Terry sat back against the side of the car and smiled from ear to ear. His feelings changed completely and the morphine began taking over. A silly smile was stuck to his face and I knew with absolute clarity that the morphine was controlling him now. But what was happening? Who were the nurses working on? Suddenly I began to feel afraid. 
immense blackness flooded over me like a rapid, dense fog. The darkness was so absolute that nothing was visible, and it seemed that nothing ever could be visible in it. Then, just as suddenly, bright, vivid lights began flashing around me, psychedelic lights that were brighter and more colorful than anything I had seen before. I looked down at myself, and in the brilliance of the lights, I saw that my body looked perfectly well again. No burns, no bleeding. My hands and feet were whole. I stood in the midst of a spectacular light show, feeling absolute whole and com- absolutely whole and complete. But my fear remained. I must be dreaming, I reasoned. I knew I had been burned. My hands had almost burned off, but now they were perfect in front of me. I was dreaming, or no, it was the morphine. I'm having a psychedelic trip, I thought. I've been overdosed like Terry, and my mind is playing tricks on me. But would I be able to reason so clearly if I were having a drug-induced trip? Would I be so self-aware, and so aware of others, their thoughts, their feelings? I was experiencing something more real than anything I had ever experienced. So if this wasn't a dream or a trip, what was it? At that moment, I was sucked into a narrow tube, and I began flying through it feet first. The tube was extremely tight, and I became more frightened because it almost felt like my body was being sucked inside inside out. My speed was tremendous, indescribable. Nothing on earth has ever gone that fast. Nothing could. It felt as if I were whizzing past galaxies, but the colors and lights were right next to me, almost rushing against me, and my fears mounted. Then I heard voices. It seemed people were traveling beside me somehow, although there was no room for them. I became aware of one person near me who was alone and not speaking. I couldn't see anyone. I just knew the person was there. Then I heard two men speaking, also traveling beside me, and I knew they were speaking about me. I focused on their voices, and I was able to make out their words, but they were speaking a different language. I heard everything they said, and I seemed to recognize the language. But I couldn't comprehend what they were saying. What is that language? I asked myself, frustrated, getting frustrated because I knew that I had heard and understood it at one time. Why can't I understand it now? The voices stopped, and a brief scene flashed before me. A series of pictures, words, ideas, understanding. It was a scene from my life. It flashed before me with incredible rapidity. I understood it completely and learned from it. Another scene came, and another, and another. And I was seeing my entire life, every second of it. And I didn't just understand the events, I relived them. I was that person again, doing those things to my mother or saying those words to my father or brothers or sisters, and I knew why for the first time I had done them or said them. Entirety does not describe the fullness of this review. It included knowledge about myself that all the books in the world couldn't contain. I understood every reason for everything I did in my life. I was also understood I also understood the impact I had on others. 
A part of me began to anticipate certain events, things in my life I would dread seeing again, but most of them didn't show up. And I understood that I had taken responsibility for these actions and had repented of them. I saw myself repenting of them, sincerely wanting God to remove the weight and the guilt of those terrible actions. And he had. I marveled at his sublime sublime love and that my misdeeds could be forgiven and removed so easily. And then I saw other scenes that I hadn't anticipated, things that were just as awful. I saw them in horrible detail and watched the impact they had on others. I saw that I had let many people down in my life. I had made commitments to family and friends that I had just let ride until they were irreversibly unfulfilled. People had depended on me, and I had said, I'm too busy, or it's not my problem, and just let it go. My cavalier attitude had caused real pain and heartache in others, pain I had never known about. I was shown a friend who I knew had suffered terribly in her life. She lived in a beautiful, spiritual world before she came to this life, and she had been confused and hesitant about coming here at all. But she was given the promise of good parents, family members, and friends, and she agreed to come for the experience and growth this life would afford her. I was shown that I was one of the key friends who had been given to her as a guide and help. Then I saw my own personal follies and uncaring attitudes. I saw how these had combined to mislead my friend and propel her into new new mistakes and grief. I had messed up my own life, not really caring about the consequences, and in so doing had hurt her as well. If I had followed through on my obligations to myself and others, she would have lived an easier and more productive life. Until that moment, I had never realized that ignoring responsibilities was a sin. What was happening? Why was I seeing all this? My mind spun with questions. Next, I saw a woman whom I had been asked by our local church leader to visit periodically. I was just to check up on her and see if she needed any help. I knew the woman quite well, but was afraid of her constant pessimism and negativity. She was locally renowned for her bitterness. I didn't think I could handle the depressing influence she would have had on me, so I never went to see her. Not once. I now, I, I saw now that the opportunity to visit her had been orchestrated by higher powers, that I had been just the person she needed at that time. She didn't know it, And I didn't know it, but I had let her down. Now I lived her sadness and felt her disappointment and knew I was the cause of it. I had fallen through on a special mission to her, a responsibility that would have strengthened me over time. I had retreated from an opportunity for growth, both for me and for her because I was not caring enough to fight through my petty fears and laziness. But the reasons didn't matter. I could see that, even now, she was 
living in sadness and bitterness, living through it just as I now experienced it. And there was nothing I could do to go back and help. I re-experienced myself doing good things, but they were fewer and less significant than I had thought. Most of the great things I thought I had done were mo almost irrelevant. I had done them for myself. I had served people when it served me to do so. I had founded my charity on conditions of repayment, even if the repayment was merely a stroke to my ego. Some people had been helped, however, by my small acts of kindness, a smile, a kind word, little things I had long since forgotten. I saw that people were happier because of my actions and in turn were kinder to others. I saw that I had sent out waves of goodness and hope and love when I had only meant to smile or to help in a small way. But I was disappointed at how few of these incidents there were. I had not helped as many people as I thought. As the review of my life came to an end, I was in agony. I saw everything I had ever done in vivid, immediate detail, the bad things haunting and terrifying in their finality, and the good things ringing with greater reward and happiness than I had ever imagined. But in the end, I was found wanting. I found myself wanting. Nobody was there to judge me. Nobody had to be. I wanted to melt in the agony of self-indictment. The fires of remorse began to consume me, but there was nothing I could do. The scenes of my life were gone, and the colored lights returned. Was this all a dream? It had to be. The dark tomb seemed to tighten against me as I flew through it, faster and faster. Wake up, Rennell, I told myself. It's a dream. Wake up. But I continued on, sailing through the dancing lights of unreal colors, oblivious to direction or destination. A dot of light appeared far off in front of me. It was just a pinpoint, a tiny speck in the distance, but its brilliance distinguished it from all other lights around me, and I in instinctively pressed towards it. Emanating from it was a love and hope and peace that my soul hungered for. I wanted, I needed this brilliant, radiant light. The black tube took the shape of a tunnel now, opening up as I neared its end. The light burst forth before me, filling everything with brightness, and I was coming upon it impossibly fast. Oh my gosh, I thought. It's brighter than the sun. It'll blind me. It'll kill me. I remembered my burns from the crash, uh, plane crash, and was afraid they would ignite again in this radiance. But I couldn't stop myself. I was drawn to the light by forces I could not control. So I shut my eyes against my impending destruction. But my eyes wouldn't shut. They felt shut, but somehow I couldn't see it. And then I was in the light. Like a nuclear explosion, the light pierced me. Every particle of me was shot through with blinding, brilliant light, and I had a feeling of transparency. My skin didn't burn. My eyes still saw. I floated in this light, bathed in it, 
and the love that surrounded me and filled me was sweeter and finer than anything I had ever felt. I was changed by it, refined, rarefied, made pure. I basked in its sweetness, and the traumas of the past were far behind me, forgotten and transformed by peace. Then an image appeared in the distance. A woman walked toward me dressed in white. Her hair was white, and her face shone with light. I had no fear of her. The love I felt allowed no fear. She came forward and stood immediately before me. Then she smiled, and I loved her smile. It filled me with even greater love, and I wanted to know her. She spoke my name, Ranel. But her lips didn't move. Her smile never changed, and my first thought was, Wow, what a trick. Her lips didn't move. Renelle, she said again, and I realized her voice sounded in my mind and not in my ears. How could this be? Renelle, she was more insistent, it's Grandma. And the moment she said this, I recognized her. She was my mother's mother. But she looked different than I had remembered. She was full and rounded and vibrant. She appeared to be about 25 years old, but her hair was glorious white, and everything about her was radiantly beautiful. Her body was gorgeous, and I began to understand why I hadn't recognized her. She had been frail and sick all the years I had known her. Then the realization hit me. Grandma was dead. She had died a couple of years before, and I thought, if she's dead, then what am I doing here? Oh, I'm dead. The thought came out of me like spoken words, though I hadn't moved my mouth. Now everything fit. The colorful lights, the life review, and now this light of glorious love, all of it naturally occurred as my life continued in this next world. This definitely wasn't some dream or some drug-induced vision. I was more keenly aware and alive now than I had ever been in my body. I immediately accepted this and wanted to know where everybody was. Grandma giggled. Her lips didn't move, but her spirit giggled. Aren't people supposed to meet me when I die? I asked. Aren't there supposed to be people singing Alleluia and coming up to hug me and saying, Welcome? She giggled again, and I thought it was the most delightful giggle I had ever heard. Well, she said, everybody is quite busy. Come on, you have a lot to see. And she reached out for my hand, but I thought, wait, what about Jim? Jim was a friend who had been killed in an automobile accident several months earlier. If Grandma was here, maybe she could tell me what hap had happened to him. What about Jim? I said again. And then I saw him in the distance, walking toward us. Instantly, I wanted to run and embrace him, but my grandmother put her arm, put out her arm and said, No, you cannot. I was startled. There was a power in her words, and I knew I couldn't oppose them. Why not? I asked. Because of the way he lived his life, she said. He had come closer now and had stopped ten or twelve feet away. He was dressed in jeans and, and a blue shirt that was unbuttoned to mid-chest. 
This was how he normally wore his shirts on earth, but I thought, my goodness, that's risque. Do they let you dress like that in heaven? He smiled, and I could feel his happiness, although he didn't possess the same kind of light or power that my grandmother did. He seemed content. He gave me a message to give to his mother, asking that I would tell her to stop grieving over his death, to let her know that he was happy and progressing. He explained that he had made certain decisions in his life that had hindered his growth on earth. He had made decisions knowing they were wrong, and now he was willing to accept their consequences. When he was thrown from the van that he and his wife and a friend had been in, his head had hit a rock, and he had been killed instantly. When he got to the other side, he was given a choice to stay in the spirit or return to earth. He could see that his growth on earth had come to a stop, and that if he returned, he might lose even that light which he had gained. So he chose to stay. He asked me to explain to his mother, and I said I would, not knowing how I would accomplish this, since I had no thought of going back myself. Then he said that he had a lot of work waiting for him, and he turned and left. I could tell that he was very busy, very engaged in matters that were vital to him, that would help him, though I didn't know what they were. I looked at my grandmother and asked why she had prevented me from embracing him. She explained that this was part of damnation. I was taken aback. The powers are given she explained, are self-given. We grow by the force of our desires to learn, to love, to accept things by faith that we cannot prove. Our ability to accept truth, to live by it, governs our progress in the spirit, and it determines the degree of light we possess. Nobody forces light and truth upon us, and nobody takes it away unless we let them. We are self-governed and self-judged. We have total agency, Jim decided to limit his growth on earth by rejecting things he knew were true. He hurt himself and others by using and selling drugs. Some of the people hurt severely. He had various reasons for turning, the, turning to drugs, but the fact remains that he knew these, were wrong. these things were wrong. He chose darkness over light often enough that he would not choose light again. And now, to the degree he became spiritually dark, he is consigned to a similar degree of darkness, or lack of light, here in the spirit. Yet he still has agency. He can grow. He can still find all the joy he is willing to accept, all that he is capable of receiving. But he knows that he does not have the same powers to progress and achieve joy that others with more light have. This is part of damnation because his progress is limited, but he chooses, but he's choosing to grow, and he is happy. The Lord never gives us more challenges in life than can be handled, she continued, rather than jeopardize someone's spiritual progression or cause, the, cause more suffering than can be endured, he will bring that spirit home where he or she can continue progressing, unquote. All of this rang utterly true to me. She had communicated it with lightning speed, faster than computers can talk. It was instant and total knowing. I found that grandmother and I 
could think on several levels at once and communicate them all simultaneously. You can't know something without knowing everything around it, what causes it, what sustains it. Knowledge dovetails in the spirit world, each piece fitting with other pieces. Every fact connected to it is seen instantly, in totality. We have nothing like it on earth. We can't even approach it. Our knowledge and ability to communicate is like a child's who hasn't yet learned a language. We struggle to communicate, but we don't possess the tools. We're like little children. My grandmother held out her hand and said, Come quickly. I reached out to take it and stopped. Wow, I said. Look at my hand. My hand was clear, like transparent gel, but there was light coursing through it like clear blood. But the light didn't run in irregular patterns as it would in veins. Rather, the light shot through my hand like rays or beams. My whole hand sparkled with light. I looked down and saw my feet also sparkled with light. I also noticed again that they weren't burned. My feet and hands were perfect and whole. They radiated this glistening, beaming light, and I looked at my grandmother and saw that her light was brighter than mine. Every part of her was more brilliant. Even her dress was glowing white, and I recognized the dress. It was the dress she had been buried in. My mother had bought it for her funeral. I thought about what Jim had been wearing, and I understood that people there wear what they want to wear. They wear what they're comfortable in, and I knew my grandmother must have loved this dress my mother had bought for her. Although she had never worn it in life, grandmother was wearing it now, and she was radiant. Moments later, we were talking, holding hands, and the most beautiful panorama I had ever beheld opened before us. Now, I'm going to pause for a quick second before I continue. I'm recognizing these, uh, these words. I'm hoping this is not one that we've read on the show before. I believe I read this account on either near-death.com or enderf.org, maybe Ions. Um, I've read the account, but I think this has more detail than what I remember reading on, in the account. So... Um, Anyway, uh, so if you've heard this before on the show, I apologize, but I'm going to keep reading because I think this is just a beautiful experience. A garden cannot exist on earth like the one I saw. I had been in gardens in California that had taken my breath away, but they were struck into insignificance by the scene I saw before me now. Here was an endless vista of grass rolling away into shining, radiant hills. We have never seen green in our world like the deep, shimmering green of the grass that grew there. Every blade was crisp, strong, and charged with light. Every blade was unique and perfect and seemed to welcome me into this miraculous place. Profusions of flowers were splashed on the hills in colors I had never imagined. Flowers of all sizes and forms, living, radiating, glorying in their beauty, erupted from the hills and valleys without end. The colors were indescribable. We may have 50 or 100 tints of orange in this world. In that one, there are millions. 
I saw tinges of orange that defy comprehension. Shades of roses and hints of pink stretched on forever. Every subtle shade a unique color. Every color connecting in perfect, in perfect harmony with other colors. And every arrangement a miracle. Our colors seem to be grays and browns and blacks in comparison. Dead, drab, everything a muddle of the same staid tints. Uh, even our brightest colors are artificial. There, colors vibrated with life, creating subtle shades of mood and atmosphere. The colors did more than please me. They infused me with happiness in their completion, in their wholeness. It was as if every blade of grass, every flower, every tree had a unique prism from which light and spirit exploded. The whole garden was singing. The flowers, grass, and trees, and other plants filled this place with glorious tones and rhythms and melodies. Yet I didn't hear the music itself. I could feel it somehow on a level beyond my hearing. As my grandmother and I stopped for a moment to marvel at this magnificent scene, I said to myself, everything here seems to be singing which was woefully inadequate to describe what I felt. We simply don't have language that adequately communicates the beauty of that world. I noticed something unusual about the flowers near us. My grandmother waved her arm and, without speaking, commanded them to come to her. Although it was a command, the flowers took joy in obeying her. They floated through the air and came to a stop, suspended within a circle of her within the circle of her arms. The bouquet was alive. Each blossom was able to communicate, react, and actually enlighten others near it. Grandma, I said, they have no stems. Why should they have stems, she said. Flowers on earth need stems to receive nourishment, to grow to their fullest potential. Everything God has made is spiritual and, and is designed to grow toward its own spiritual potential. A flower reaches its fullness in the blossom. Here everything exists in its fullest form. The flowers have no need of stems, but they just float. Should they fall? Everything here is perfect. She took one of the flowers and handed it to me. Isn't that beautiful? She said. The flower hung inside my cupped hands, barely touching me. It was like a camellia, except that it was deeper than any camellia I had seen, and it had many fine tendrils at its center, some long and straight, others coiled. The petals cascaded one upon the other in luminous hues of lavender, orange, and pink. The whole blossom was filled with various shades of light, and its beauty was incredible. Then the flower became part of me. Its soul merged with mine. It experienced everything I was doing or ever had done before. It was acutely aware of me, and at the same time it changed me with its delicate spirit, with its own existence and life. It affected my feelings, my thoughts, my identity. It was me. I was it. The joy that came from this union was more pervasive and delicious and fulfilling than any I had known until that moment, and I wanted to cry. The scriptures say that one day all things shall be as one. 
That statement has great power for me now. My grandmother commanded the flowers to return, and they floated gently back to their places just above the ground. The one in my hands also returned, but its essence remained with me. Maybe it was this lingering connection with the flower that made me more keenly aware of my surroundings. But I began noticing other things. I saw large, powerful trees, and I understood that a tree reaches a fullness of its creation in its growth and firmness. Unlike some flowers, the trunk of the tree or its stem is vital to its identity, so to its spiritual fullness. The trees were similar to palmyra trees that grow in the tropics, only much larger. I sensed their intelligence and the limit to that intelligence, and I knew that reaching their full height and width and firmness actually gave meaning to their existence. Their trunks were their foundation, and their leaves spread and total size was, in effect, their glory. The trees produced a scent that reminded me of something bouquetish, very flowery. Then I smelled another scent, a mixture between sweet pine and lilac. It came from a large, stately tree that reminded me of a pine tree, but much fuller. The sky above the trees had a lavender hue that seemed to turned blue in places where the light was greater. As I stood reflecting on all of this, letting the entire scene permeate my being, my grandmother spoke again. All this comes from God, and the power to sustain it comes from Him. It is the power of His love, just as the plant life on earth needs soil, water, and light for nourishment. Spiritual life needs love. All creation springs from God's love, and everything He creates has the capacity to love in turn. Light, truth, and life is all created in love and is sustained by love. God gives it love. We give it love. You give it love. And thus creation flows. And Renell, she said, I love you. As she said the words, I felt her love charge into my being, filling me with incredible warmth and joy. This was life. This was true existence. There had been nothing like it on earth. I felt the plants loving me, the sky, the fragrances, everything. And as I received my grandmother's words and this love, I knew that now I would be responsible to increase and heighten all love around me, whatever my circumstances. She was teaching me love, its definition, its extent and power, not just so I could take pleasure in receiving it, but so I could express it to others. I was being filled with love in order to become a source of love. My grandmother took my hand, and as we walked through the garden, she explained some of the basic purposes of our life on earth the need to live the golden rule, the need to help others, the necessity of a savior, the need to read scriptures and have faith. And I said, Grandmother, I already know this. I learned it all in Sunday school. Why are you teaching it to me again? She spoke simply. It is within the simple principles of the gospel that the mysteries of heaven are found.
What was she saying? I couldn't see any mysteries in her words. I felt her immense love, but I could see no purpose in teaching me principles that had come clear to me years before. Yet she continued, reiterating the importance of basic goodness, religion, the power of repentance, things anybody can learn from the Bible. I listened, my frustration growing as we walked up the side of the hill. We came to a stop, and I said, Grandma, I know all that. I really do. Teach me more. You're not ready. Yes, I am, Grandma. I'm ready for much more. No, you don't believe the basics yet. You lack faith. What is it that I don't believe? How do I lack faith? Oh, but she knew me. She knew me better than I could have imagined. As we stood on the buff overlooking the valley, I saw a scene that changed me forever. The scene was sacred beyond words, beyond expression, and those who have witnessed it keep it hidden in their hearts. I saw that I had indeed lacked faith, that love isn't simply a word or an emotion. Love is a power that gives action to all around it. Love is the power of life. This was a turning point for me, something that allowed all of my understanding and love to magnify. But I can never share the detail here except to say that I know that love between people here can be eternal. I felt Grandma beaming with happiness. I had passed the test. Grandma took my hand, and we traveled quickly over the landscape. I looked down at the ground flying under us. We streaked like a beam of light across the immense spiritual world, then moved upward into space, traveling even faster. Floodgates of knowledge opened, and truth poured into me without end or constraint. Its source was a light and truth all around me. And let's see, its, its source was, was the light and truth all around me. And it was clarified or explained at my level by my grandmother. She gave me knowledge about God, life, the creation of the world, and even the reaches of eternity. The truths were comprehensive and complete and rushed upon me in such enormous volume that I thought my head would explode. It was coming too fast. I wanted to be able to absorb it, to remember it all, but it was too much. I can't take this, I said. Stop. Instantly, all communication ceased, and we came to a standstill. My grandmother looked at me, and I felt her surprise. Why are you doing this, she said. I can't handle all you're giving me. How can I possibly retain it all? Renell, don't worry about it, she said to me. Let go of the fear. Don't doubt yourself. You will recall things as you need them, and they will be brought to your memory by the Spirit. Have faith. Believe in the power of God. Then I understood what had become the greatest block to my growth in life fear. It had plagued me all my years, had stopped my progress, cut short my attempts at working through problems. Fear had limited my enjoyment of life, and it was blocking me now. When I feared, my powers of travel, understanding, and progression became paralyzed. Don't fear this, I said to myself. Let go. And we were traveling again, 
knowledge pouring into me faster than ever. Scene after scene of living truth passed through me, history on earth, history of our existence before earth, principles, facts, things that I had had no conception of. I saw them. I experienced them, literally becoming part of each scene. I saw that we all stood before our Father before coming to earth, brothers and sisters in eternity. I experienced this anew just as I had experienced it in my own pre-mortal life. I saw that we chose to come here, to face trials and to gain the experiences of this earth. I saw that we elected to follow a Savior who would redeem us from the sins of our mortal lives and bring us back to our Father. I felt love and joy sweep over me again as we accepted Jesus Christ as that Savior. Then we raised our right arms just as we might in a court of law, and we made a sacred covenant with God that we would do all in our power to accomplish our missions on earth. And I felt the tremendous honor of making this covenant before our Heavenly Father. We vowed, in effect, to become partners with Him in bringing about goodness on earth. We promised to use our time and energies and talents to help bring about the Savior's full purposes, to help bring our brothers and sisters back to Him and to our Father again. I saw that our God knew each of us individually. He knew our hearts, our souls, and He loved us unconditionally. It was as though he spent unmeasurable time with each of us, counseling us, loving us. Time did not exist. Each of us had always had a relationship with him. I saw that the people standing beside me on that occasion were people who would play an integral part in my life on earth. We were connecting to each other in vital ways. If one of us were to fail in his or her mission, all of us would be hurt in some way. If one succeeded, we would all benefit. It was as if we were all part of a puzzle with millions of pieces. It was put together perfectly, but one, if one piece were removed, we would all be lacking and would not be content until that piece was found and returned to its rightful place. We needed each other. We still do and always will. I believe that it is impossible here to imagine the grief of a brother or sister who is lost from that great family organization. Many other events of eternity passed through me. I seemed to bathe in them, to become them. They were infused into my soul. I know that all this knowledge is with me yet, some of which I remember, such as making the covenant with our Father, and some of which I am waiting to remember. I asked my grandmother if I could visit my friends, the ones I had cherished throughout eternity. She said some of them were still on earth and that I would not be able to see them. I asked for the others and instantly they came to me. Beautiful people of light and love, I remembered them and their names. Some had already lived on earth and died, and some had not yet been born. All the memories of my existence before earth came back to me, but I was told that I would not retain them, that they were for this place only. I accepted that, and my friends came and embraced me, welcoming me back. 
We've always been with you, Rennell, they said. We've never left you. Oh, how we love you so much. Incredible joy filled me as I felt their own joy at being with me again. Each person was individual and unique. Each had a different personality. I could sense a difference between the ones who had been to earth and those who hadn't. Those who had been on the earth were discernibly brighter, more mature. But we were all in that moment like giddy children, reunited after years of being apart, each of us sharing our experiences while I had been gone. Then I knew that some of them had been with me in spirit while I was on earth. They had comforted and guided me. I remembered a time when I was nine or ten. I had gone to my bedroom after being chastised by my parents, feeling hurt and alone, and I didn't want to live anymore. I was lying on my bed, praying for God to take me away, when I felt the embrace of two people around me. So much peace came into me at that moment that I didn't question the reality of it. Now, as I saw the two who had done this, now I saw the two who had done this, they smiled, reminding me of the moment. I wouldn't call them guardian angels. They were friends, and they had always been my friends, no matter the place or time. They had been to earth before me. The younger spirits, the ones who hadn't been to earth, were then called away. They seemed younger only because they hadn't gained the experience of earth life yet. We all looked the same age, somewhere in our twenties. After they were gone, the rest of us spoke on a higher level, sharing things that could not that we could not share with the others. Life on earth does something to us. It strips away a naivety, an innocence, and infuses our eternal selves with maturity and wisdom. With the others gone, we could now bear all of well, let's see, we could now bear all of our lessons and experiences from earth. We looked forward to the future in a way we hadn't before, knowing better what the whole plan entailed. My grandmother was getting anxious. There was so much to do, so much to learn, and there was only limited time to do it in. We have to move on, she said. But I want to spend more time with my friends, I pleaded. No, Rennell, we must go. You haven't learned everything you came for yet. My friends embraced me again and committed to stay with me. I felt their perfect love and knew they would never leave me. One female friend lingered and embraced me for a long time. She seemed bonded to me in a unique way, but I didn't quite understand what it was. You'll know I've always or you know I've always been with you, she said. I've never left you, and I never will. She hung on every word I said, and I was moved as I recognized her passion to be with me, her absolute devo devotion and love. I'll always be there, she said again. My grandmother took my hand, and we found ourselves in the garden again, traveling above another beautiful hillside. Everything was harmonious, perfect, like sweet music. I love you, Rennell, she repeated over and over, her love for me continuing or coming in waves. 
like a sweet aroma touching and filling every part of me. I never wanted to live without her love again. It seemed to give me life. I will never leave you, she continued. The Spirit will comfort you, be with you, and will allow me to be with you too. Then she said, Come, you must learn humility. And we came to a strange building below us. It had four walls, but no floor or ceiling. We could see part way down into it. Then the room's light seemed to fade where the floor should have been. The walls were solid but translucent, as if they could be penetrated by light, or rather, by beings of light. This seemed important. I saw stairs leading down into a dark area. My grandmother told me to follow the stairs down into the room. Somehow I sensed a deeper darkness. No, Grandma, I don't want to. You need to, she said. This is important. Can't you come with me? I cannot. I realize that there are laws in that world, just as there are just as there are laws here. This was a law she could not break. I had to go alone. I started down, and the stairs seemed to disappear so that I gradually descended or floated into the room. The light was much dimmer, and I became frightened, though I knew that the light in the room was brighter than sunlight. At first I thought the room was empty. Then I saw her. A beautiful woman lay on her side on an altar. Behind her and to the sides hung broad scallops of fine scarlet, scarlet fabric. Her head was propped on one side, and her thick, dazzling black hair fell across the front of her neck. She had an olive complexion, smoother than cream, lips full and exquisitely formed. Her eyes a stunning blue, were set in a flawless face that looked as if it had never seen a harsh moment. Her fingernails were long and delicate, appearing to have never experienced work. Even her feet were beautiful, slender and soft, and I noticed that her toenails were perfectly groomed. Gold and brass bracelets adorned her ankles and wrists in the style of her time on earth. A necklace of gold and brass hung about her neck, with a large ruby just above her breasts. Her blouse hat was crimson and partially sheer. It, stood, it hung loosely from her shoulders and tucked into her waist. The front of it was open, slightly expo exposing her breasts and midriff. Her legs were draped in, some fa in the same fabric. She looked about the room with an air of supremacy. Even in this realm of absolute beauty, she was stunning. I understood that she had become a queen, or she had been a queen, a woman of power and title who had lived before Christ and had reigned over many people. In life she had done as she pleased, commanded populations, granting or taking life, enjoying every whim. She had cultivated her beauty artfully and had used it to increase her power. She looked at me, and I knew that she expected me to bow, to honor her, but I refused. Something told me not to. 
her air of dignity unruffled. She looked about the room again as if expecting others to show obeisance, to show me how to reverence her beauty and power. She was caught in a delusion. The room was deserted. There were no others. Yet she believed there were multitudes surrounding her, bowing and giving her glory. I began looking at her with pity and sadness. Then I was shown that she had lived her life in selfishness and greed, that she had never given kindness for the sake of being kind. She had never given anything of herself, and now she was caught in eternity, in love with herself, smiling benevolently, benevolently upon her invisible subjects, basking in honor and adulation that didn't exist. She was queen to nothing but her own vanity. Her self-delusion was so complete that I began to fear being in her presence. I feared her sickness, the smugness, the self-glory, the darkness of her deception, and I cried out for my grandmother. Come, Rennell, I heard her say, and I glided up out of the roofless room and back into the garden. My grandmother took my hand. Her touch and the beauty of the garden were like a spiritual balm. Did you see? she asked. Did you learn? Yes, I said, grateful to be out of the room, but aware also that I had seen a potential for delusion in my own soul. Thank you. We didn't speak of it again. There was no need. The image of the woman, once a queen on earth, now a figment of vanity, was seared into my soul. I could not escape the lesson she invoked. Even now, when I see vanity, I feel a sadness for the person displaying it. I want to wake them up to what's real about themselves, their inner beauty, light, and love. My grandmother saw the impact of the lesson upon me, and we moved on, traveling with great speed again over the garden, which seemed to stretch for thousands of miles. She waved her arm, and we stopped above another high hill, and I saw millions of people before us. These are the spirits of those who have died, she said. They are waiting for, their, for the work to be done. They're waiting for those on earth to finish their part of the work. Their part of the work? I asked. What work? She showed me that the people were organized into family units. You committed yourself to giving your time and talents on earth to further the work of the Lord. You need these people, and they need you. We are all dependent upon one another. My life review had already pointed out how remiss I had been in serving others. Now I saw that there was much I could do, sharing, sacrificing, offering what I have. The spirits of those who have died are waiting for each of us to com come closer to the truth to become part of the complete puzzle again, to recognize the divinity of God and, and live in his light. Before moving on, I saw that each person wore clothing from his or her own time period on earth. As with my friend Jim, they wore what they were comfortable in. We continued on, and Grandma showed me the importance of being a mother and the value of the things I did for my children. I saw that my sacrifices for them had not been in vain. 
Although I had considered myself an unsuccessful mother, in reality I had helped my children more than I realized. I was shown the difference between men's and women's roles, both on earth and hereafter, and I saw things that changed my views on equality and fairness. I have always loved my womanhood, but now I love and honor what I can do as a woman. I don't need to do what a man does to have meaning in life. Womanhood gives me the same eternal significance as manhood gives to men. By fulfilling the mag- magnifying Let's see, by fulfilling and magnifying my roles as mother, wife, daughter, sister, friend, I will gain the most glorious rewards possible. For both genders, loving and helping people is the key. Grandmother then showed me much of my past again, this time focusing on my poor self-esteem. I hadn't loved myself, and this affected the way I had treated others. You must love yourself before you can love others, she said. I viewed mistakes I had made as a mother due to my lack of self-esteem. I had lost my temper and hurt my children unjustly. I wanted to hurt myself, but instead I had hurt them. Remember, she said, that each child is a child of God. They are your spiritual equals. They have a life on earth as precious as yours, and they need your help. It's your obligation to give them as much knowledge as you can. Feed them truth. Give them experiences for their growth. Learn to love yourself, Rennell, and you will love your children more. Then she showed me how to love myself more. I needed to feed myself knowledge and truth, to study in my fields of interest, even going back to school if necessary. I also needed to pray more, and I was surprised when I saw just how little I had prayed in life. Pray as a mother, she said. Pray to know how to raise your children, and your prayers will be answered. Read the scriptures. They are filled with truth. Study them, and you too will be filled. Answers will come. Wisdom will be added to you. You will feel the Spirit and come closer to the Lord. Now, I should go on and keep reading, but I'm going to stop there. This is remarkable. I I have read portions of that before, so it must have been on one of the websites um, that I listed before, but but I am absolutely astounded by this. It, it looks like she goes on and continues talking with her grandma, and there's some more uh, discussion about her return and... Uh, she doesn't want to go and so forth. But I'm not going to read on simply because, you know, <laughs> copyright issues. And I don't want to, um, you know, if you would like to read more, please get this book. And I, I'm i blown away just from what I've read today. Much of this I haven't read. And and I'm just, my mind is kind of reeling right now with thoughts. Um, I'll, I'll repeat to you the uh, the name of the book and then I want to share some very personal uh, feelings. Um, The Burning Within is the name of the book by Rennell Wallace with Curtis Taylor. So it looks like it's published by Old Leaf Press. I will put that in the bookstore as well as a link in this particular episode. There was a moment in reading this um, that I had a memory come, and it's one that I haven't thought about 
in a while. I think when I uh, first started studying near-death experiences, the memory came back, but um, it came back strong in this. And it was in the part where Rennell was talking about how she was with some friends that she'd known before she'd come to Earth, and, um, and how she recognized some as being the friends that had been with her, had come to her, um, at a time when she was, um, upset and, and, you know, upset from, uh, a, a conversation with her mother and she was in trouble, something or other. I, I don't remember exactly. Um, can't find the spot again, <laughs> but, uh, as she was talking about how she remembered those friends from that experience, I recalled something that happened. This is, you know, this whole near-death experience study has been a journey for me, not just because of what I'm learning, but because of little things, flashbacks, if you will, of little things that I think, huh, you know, it's just kind of a, huh, <laughs> kind of experience. I, many years ago, it must, it must have been at least 15 years ago, it was before I was married. In fact, it was before my parents moved, which would put it uh, around 18 to 20 years ago, somewhere around there, um, possibly even as much as when I was living at home, but I don't think so. I think it was, no, I was living at home. Yes, I was living at home um, with my parents, and so I think it was somewhere between, you know, around 18 to 20 years ago. Anyway, um, what happened is I... I was really tired when I was headed to bed and I kneeled down to say my prayers and I don't remember the prayers. I remember feeling a wave of exhaustion coming over me, uh, which is not uncommon at bedtime when I kneel to say my prayers. But while praying, I something happened. Uh, I, I, it was as if I dozed off, but there was something different about it. And I remained very conscious. And I was with someone. No, somebody was in the room with me. No. Ah, I'm sorry, I'm trying to recall it as I'm telling it. I just remember being with someone. It, it, I don't remember it being, you know, God or Jesus or anybody like that. I don't even remember it being a particular being of light per se. I don't remember seeing anyone, but I was with someone and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, it's you. I, how could I have forgotten about you? And it was as if, I don't know if this was a friend, a family member, or just somebody who I deeply looked up to. I, I think it was a friend. I, I, I don't know how else to, to describe just the feeling of somebody who I was really, really close to and, and had, had a deep, strong relationship with. I, I'm trying to remember if it was a boy or a girl. I'm kind of thinking boy, but I could be wrong about that. I, I can't say for sure, but I remember thinking, how could I have forgotten about you? It's so good to see you. I, I don't recall if I said that or just thought that it was, ah, gosh, now that I'm remembering it, this is 
this is fitting things that I've read. Anyway, um, I just remember a brief moment, instant, maybe time passing with this person. It, it's hard to say. Again, I don't, I don't remember because I do recall as, you know, and I'm like, oh, I, you know, I can't believe I forgot about you. It's so good to see you. And then there was this sensation of, I'm going to wake up now. And I was like, this thought, when I wake up, I'm going to forget you again. And I was like, no, I can't let myself forget. I can't let myself forget you again. And as I'm thinking this, I'm waking up from a dream, maybe, an experience of some kind. I don't recall seeing anything. I don't recall a person, but I strongly recall thinking, no, I can't let myself forget again. I can't let myself forget you again. And then the memory was gone. I didn't remember the person. I didn't know who they were. All I remembered was that feeling, that thought of, oh, how could I have forgotten you? And then waking up with that, that, the feelings there, the feelings of love and the feelings of reunion, the feelings of joy at being with this person again, and then the memory of them being gone. I was so taken up by this experience at the time that I wrote it down in my journal. I'll have to look it up. I, but again, I don't recall the date exactly, but I, I was pretty consistent at journal keeping at that time, and I, and I wrote down the experience. If I find that in my journals, buried in my journals somewhere, uh, maybe I can read it sometime. But just as we were reading that, I remembered that instant. I, I think I've only thought of it a few times over the years since then, and just thinking, huh, I wonder what that was. Because it was so so potent. The, the memory of the person at the time was so like, oh my gosh, how could I have forgotten you? And I was with them. I don't know if physically or just, or spiritually or just in some, you know, connection of memory and short loving communication and then broken off from it. It was, it was kind of like, you're going to forget me again, but that's okay. And it was kind of a shared thought, like, I don't know if they were conveying it to me or if I came to the realization, but there was this understanding that I was going to forget him again. But there was this just this brief reunion with somebody, and I don't remember who it was, and I don't imagine I probably will, at least not with this mortal head. <laughs> but Wow. Like I said, this is a journey for me. This is interesting because I'm getting little glimpses of little things like that. Again, I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything, but there was communication and there was a, a strong sense of love and reunion. And, you know, at the time, I, I felt like it was more than a dream. But what 
else could I say about it? You know, it was, I mean, I felt my body was asleep. I, I mean, I, I know the feeling of exhaustion that comes over me when I'm gone. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, you know, and that's what came over me. But the moment it did, I was having some kind of reunion. And then as I began to drift out of that reunion, there was a recognition that I'm not going to remember this. I'm not going to remember the person. Could I have rem have experienced more than that before coming back? Maybe. I mean, I don't know how long the experience was. In fact, I, I vaguely remember looking back. I, I, I vaguely remember trying to think, how long was I asleep? You know, <laughs> thinking, was that, was that just a you know, doze and I just nodded off for a second or, or was I out for an hour? You know, I wasn't sure. And if I, I mean, again, since there's no memory of anything specific other than what I've expressed, I can't say, but it was clearly an experience. Was it a, a interesting dream experience like I've expressed before, or was it something of a near death experience? I, I, have no idea. There was nothing of of physical impairment about me at the time other than being physically exhausted. But reading that brought that back to my memory. So thank you <laughs> for for being part of this with me. I uh, I'm blown away by by the things that I'm experiencing from reading others' experiences, it makes me wonder if we are experiencing little things throughout our lives that we may just shrug off as dreams or as, huh, wonder why I thought that for a minute, or, you know, little uh, downloads, if you will, um, that uh, maybe more than what we've assumed they are. And maybe just that openness is what's allowing me and you to see things in a little bit of a new light. So, I think we'll go ahead and finish up there. I don't know what else more to say except thank you, all of you, so much again for listening.